0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Well, I I shared this last weekend. Uh, We began a brand new series this morning entitled It's Possible. And last weekend, uh, I shared that uh, just a fun fact about Ohio that Ohio is the only state in the Union that has a motto taken directly from the Bible. With God, with God, all things are possible. Here is our great seal for the state of Ohio. So I had a couple leave last weekend when I mentioned that, who both work for the BMV, and they said, did you know that on the uh, new driver's licenses, as of July of this year, that motto appears on the back of the driver's license? Made me want to go and renew my license, right? Just so I could have that on my license. It's on the front. Very good. Thank you so much. So let me begin this series and this morning with a very basic premise that I think probably most of us would agree with. God is with us. God is with us. By a show of hands, how many of you would believe and say, I believe God is with me? I mean, I just believe that. right? It's one of the great promises we actually get in Scripture. In Matthew chapter 1, when the birth of Jesus was announced, the angel said, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So God is with us. That's great news. But according to the Bible, there is another aspect of this that the Scripture teaches. And that is that we are to be with God. Not is God with us, but we are actually called to live our lives with God. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, here's one of the places we read this statement. With people, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now, Jesus here draws a line in the sand. He actually says here that there are two ways to understand God and two ways to live your life. One way can be characterized as with people, the beginning of the verse the other way can be characterized at the end of the verse, with God. And here's the reality. We cannot live on both sides of the line at the same time. When the Bible here talks about being with, it's a, it's a word that can get easily lost, overlooked, or minimized. And, and something gets lost in the translation of that word because that word is so much richer than what we think about. The word actually suggests an intimacy. It suggests a closeness, being near in proximity to someone. It actually means to be enjoined or commingled. When the Bible here says that we are called to be with God and that with God all things are possible, it is not talking about using God as a tool to get what we want. It's talking about being in a relationship, a vibrant relationship with God that says even though with people things are impossible, with God all things are possible. Now this morning what we're going to talk about, let me set up with these comments. I think many people in the church, many people who actually claim to be Christian, uh, experience and suffer what I would call skin-deep spirituality. Surface spirituality. What is skin-deep spirituality or Christianity? It is actually the kind of Christianity that understands and accepts the fact that God loves them and that God has given him, his grace to them. It is the kind of Christianity that says, I understand I have new life in God, and yet I continue to live by the old habits, the old patterns, and the old behaviors of my life. It's the kind of Christianity that makes a mental ascent to the idea that we have the mind of Christ and yet that mind never comes to bear on the way we think. And so our thinking remains unchanged and untouched and we virtually remain the same as we always did. On the outside, we, we look different, but on the inside, very little has changed. Now I wanna say this, I believe that God has more for us. So much more. In fact, I believe that what God desires for our life is so radical that it actually feels ridiculous for me to say it this morning, but here goes. God desires for us to be like his son Jesus in every way humanly possible. Now, doesn't that sound radical? He desires for us to be like his son Jesus in every possible way, humanly speaking. That's actually what the Bible teaches in Romans chapter eight, verse 29. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity, he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. Now, if somebody were to ask you the question, what is the primary symbol of Christianity? you would likely respond by saying it's the cross. But what if somebody were to ask you, what is the shape of Christianity? Did you know Christianity has a shape? And did you know the shape of Christianity is Christ? That God has an original pattern by which he is shaping the lives of every follower of Jesus and that original pattern is Christ. He is the original pattern for how God saw the human life being lived out. Throughout the Bible, in the New Testament, the Bible refers at different places to Jesus as God's firstborn son. Colossians is one of those places. Here's what it says. The son is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is God's firstborn son, but Jesus is not an only child. When God created us, God fashioned our lives and thought of our lives through the lenses of his son. And God said this, I want a very, very large family. I want lots of sons and lots of daughters. And I want them to bear a striking resemblance to my firstborn son. So that all of my children will begin to look more and more and more like Jesus. Now you might this morning be asking the question that Jesus is responding to in our catalyst verse, that with God all things are possible. You might be saying to yourself this morning, how in the world is that even possible? Because that's actually what Jesus was responding to. Mark chapter 10, let's go back and let's zoom out just a little bit and let's look at the context at which Jesus is responding to this. The disciples said to each other, who then can be saved. With people, this. What is the this? The this is salvation. With people, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Now this morning, what we're gonna do is we're gonna unpack this story a little bit. Because there are some interesting insights into what Jesus had in mind when he makes this statement and even what the disciples are asking when they say this question. Like, we are bewildered. We are puzzled. Who can be saved? Let me begin this morning by telling you the big idea of this morning's talk. Here's the big idea. With God, I can be deeply transformed. That's actually what Jesus had in mind here when he talks about salvation. With God, I can be deeply transformed. We just finished a series last weekend, an eight-week series on the Lord's Prayer, living on a prayer. I talked about prayer as all of the ways by which we communicate and commune with God. And here's the reality. Jesus invites us to be deeply connected to God so that we in turn can be deeply transformed by God. That's why Jesus gave us prayer and that's why he invites us into this relationship. He says, I want you to be deeply connected to God so that you in turn can be deeply transformed by God. Now, when you hear that word transformed, let me give you two ways to think about it. First of all, I want you to think Access. Access. And the second word I want you to think is the word permission. Transformation is about giving God access to the deepest parts of our lives. And then it is giving God permission to reorder those parts. You see, what we tend to do is we tend to stay at a surface when it comes to our relationship with God. We think if we jump through the right hoops, we do all the right things, we look the part, we say the right things, that somehow that will translate into deep, meaningful, significant transformation. But it doesn't. I've been puzzled for so much of my life, and this is not a judgment. It's an observation that I understand because I was in the category I've been puzzled by how it's possible for someone to lay claim to Jesus and yet their lives really never at a deep level begin to look any different. They continue to think the same way. They continue to be the same person and they continue to do the same things. How's that possible? It's possible because we don't bring Jesus into the deepest place of transforming us at the deepest levels of our lives. And that's what Jesus is responding to here. Let's back up 10 verses. Here's the story. Verse number 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now a god-fearing Jew of the first century lived with a sense of spiritual entitlement. They believed they they spiritually inherited eternal life. But they also believed they had to be rigid in their lives to be able to inherit it. They live with a sense of entitlement but at the same time they live with this fear that they could lose it if they didn't stay the course. And this man comes And he really just says to Jesus, can you tell me, what do I need to do? Notice his emphasis. His emphasis is on behavior. What things do I need to change outwardly so that I can inherit eternal life? And I love how Jesus responds. Jesus said, let's do it this way. I'm gonna give you a little test. It's a really simple test. In fact, there's only six questions. On the test. And in fact, you already have the answer key to the test. So he hands him the test, and here it is, verse 19. You know the commandments. In other words, you already know the answers to this question. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Now, in case you're here and don't know where that's from, those are six of the Ten Commandments that are given by God in the Old Testament. The question is, why does Jesus only lift out six? He doesn't give all ten. And there's a reason why. Because the, the, the old, in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments could be divided into two primary categories. Those which directly affect our relationship with God and those that directly affect our relationship with others. God said, I care about everything that's happening vertically. I also care about everything that's happening horizontally. Every one of these ten, there's six of them, these deal with our relationships to one another. And what Jesus is saying here is this. He's saying, what you do in your life affects everybody around you. It affects everything that you do, affects every single person that you have relationship with. It's gonna affect your neighbor. It's gonna affect your mom and dad. It's gonna affect your family. He said, listen, these are the most important commandments when it relates to your relationship to others. And this guy's thinking to himself, man, I got this slam dunk In fact, he said, I'm ready to give you and turn in the test. I already know I passed. Verse number 20. He says, teacher, he declared, all these things, all six of those, I have kept since I was a boy. He's feeling pretty good right now. In other words, here's what he's feeling. He's feeling like I stand head and shoulders above all my classmates. Everybody else? I'm not sure how they're doing right now, but I know I've kept them, and I've not only kept them, I've done it since I was just a child and could make my own decisions. So we're good here, Jesus, right? Everything is fine, right? Like, I'm good. I'm set up for eternal life. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa, not so fast. On the back of the test, there's one final section. It's a bonus question. Here's the deal. This is a weighted test. The answer to this final one carries more weight and more points than all the other six combined. And how this guy responded to this one was going to be a deal breaker. Verse 20, 21 and 22. Jesus said, One thing, one thing you lack. In other words, you have a deficit. There's a deficiency in your life that I want to make you aware of, and here it is. He said, Go, sell everything you have, give to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, what is going on here? Why is Jesus being so hard on this guy? Like, all this guy wants to do is make sure that he's gonna get to heaven. And what Jesus is calling out in his life is that he is lacking something. This is not about his money. At the end of the day, this is not about his wealth. The reason this man walks away sadly and doesn't follow Jesus is not because he had wealth, it's because wealth had him. So externally, everything looked religious on the outside, like this guy played the part to a T. The problem? He had not experienced deep transformation. The interior world of his life had remained largely untouched by God's presence. And so, though he's jumping through all the right hoops, something internally is way off. And Jesus knows it. And I think what Jesus is calling out here the deficit is the lack of his willingness to give God access and give God permission to the things that mattered most to him. See, Jesus knew everything about his wealth he also knew everything about his heart. And he wanted access to his heart a whole lot more than he wanted access to his wealth. This is not about Jesus needing money. That's not what this is about. This is about Jesus saying, listen, I know what's inside of you. I get it. And though you look on the outside, fully surrendered reality is you've got a grasp and a hold on things where I'm really not in control of your life. You are. And so there's this invitation that God gives to the man that he, like many of us, refused to take. He resists Jesus, and he resists Jesus' invitation because he knew what it was going to require of him. And let me just tell you, I want to make sure this, I'm very clear on what I'm about to say. There are some ingredients that are absolutely necessary to deep, lasting, radical transformation in our life. We cannot have it without these three. In fact, I would call them the secret sauce of deep transformation. Giving God access, giving God permission. This man was not willing to give it. He was lacking these things. And here are the three ingredients that I think we need. The first one is honesty. Honesty. As I say these three, there could be rising up within you a resistance. You may feel it, it may be visceral. Because I think there is a need for gut level honesty as a starting point for deep transformation. Until we get in touch with, and until we become brutally honest about who we are at the deepest level and until we give God access to the deepest level we won't experience meaningful lasting transformation. In 2014 I I took uh, my first sabbatical and during that time, there was an experience throughout that time uh, of being kind of unplugged and being very present to God that, that I became aware of some things in my own life. For, since 2004, I, I had been introduced to emotionally healthy spirituality. I had been hearing the language of self-awareness and honesty and learning to love well, love God well, love others well, love myself well. But the reality was I wasn't doing it. I wasn't doing I wasn't practicing it. I was aware of it. I was pondering it. I was even valuing it. I would have said the language of it. But in 2014, God began to dig around at the deeper part of me when I was started giving God access. And God used a verse during that time that, that radically impacted my life. Here it is. It's when David comes and, and he's confessing and he's, he's writing a prayer to God. Psalm 51. He writes, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. What is the innermost part? What is is my innermost being and what is the hidden part that David's talking about here? Both are are very rare words and phrases that are used in the Hebrew language. But when he talks here about the innermost part, he's talking about that part of us that is shrouded, the part that is out of sight, the part that gets covered over and glossed over that nobody else can actually see. I like to think of it as the part of us that is buried deep underneath false layers of ourself where we actually create facades and images and we actually have what I would call an imitation me where we live, but we are certainly not living out from an honest place. And the hidden parts, those are those parts of us that we're too ashamed to talk about. We're too embarrassed to let anyone know are there. We know they're there, that's why they're hidden. Because we would be mortified if anybody else would ever find out just how failure, how much of a failure we feel like we've been at times in our lives. And I am fully convinced that until God gets to the innermost being, until God brings us to a place of being honest about the hidden parts, we will not experience deep transformation. We we will not be conformed to the image of God's son, Jesus. Because following Jesus means following Jesus' way. And following Jesus' way is what leads us to life. That's what John's gospel says. Chapter 14. Verse number six, Jesus replied, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, notice that right in the middle of the way and life is truth. We, 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 tend, to, we tend to interpret this as, I've got to make a mental ascent to God's truth or I gotta bring truth out to other people and make sure they know truth. But I think what the Bible's teaching us here is that there needs to be a truthfulness and a deep honesty about the person that we are. That's the beginning point. I know there's resistance to this. I felt it. When God called me to it, I felt it. But gut-level honesty is where I think we begin. Here's the second ingredient. This is the other thing the man lacked. Humility. Humility without honesty and without humility, there can be no deep transformation. Now, now this guy's lack of humility is evident, right? He comes, he's self-contained, he's got everything he needs. Why would he need to give up everything? He's worked so hard for it. Or perhaps he's inherited it. Either way, it's his to lay claim to. But the struggle is this guy lacks a deep humility of recognizing who he really is. Now, let me, just, let me just destroy the myth about humility for a moment. Many people believe that humility is actually self-loathing loathing so that you think terrible about yourself many people actually would suggest that humility is thinking you're the worst person on planet earth that's not humility that's a false humility that is not by God true humility according to scripture biblical humility is understanding fully who you are with all your worth all your gifts all your abilities but recognizing also your human limitations and being honest about both It is about coming to God with both your beauty and your blemishes and saying I can appreciate what God has done for me. I can appreciate who he's made me to be but I can also be honest and truthful and humble about those things in me that are not like God. Now where do we get a model for this? We get a model for this through Jesus. Philippians chapter two. I love these two verses. Verse five and verse eight. Consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us. Let his mindset become your motivation. In other words, he's inspiring us here to want to aspire to be like Jesus. Let him be your example. And then here's what it says. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. It does not say that Jesus humbled himself and became transparent. There is a big difference between being transparent and being vulnerable. Did you know that? The word, trans, the, the word vulnerable actually comes from a Latin word that means wound. What's Jesus doing here? Jesus is willing here to be exposed. Jesus is willing here to be outed. He's willing to be seen as fully human. And he's willing to risk being wounded. Jesus is our model of what it means to be humble. To be humble is to be willing to place yourself in a position where you actually could be wounded by someone you trust. Talk about resistance. When I began to recognize this invitation by God in my life to not being transparent, that was the easy part. Being vulnerable was when you become willing to be wounded and hurt at a deep level. Jesus doesn't just say, you can strike me with his hands behind his back where he can take them out and defend himself. Jesus has his hands tied. That's what vulnerable means. It means that you are willing to let somebody hurt you and you can do nothing about it but take it. It's vulnerable. The invitation being humble is modeled in Jesus. He did not defend himself. I think that this idea of being humbled also includes humiliation, which Jesus was. Humiliated. One author, actually, I was reading about a year ago, made this statement. He said, every day, I ask God to bring a humiliation into my life, and then I pay attention to how I respond to it. I'm not there yet, okay? But I'm learning how to be more and more open to inviting the humiliations of my false self so that God can make me humble and bring me to a place of vulnerability so that I can be deeply transformed. We're talking with a group that we're walking through a a journey with right now called emotional Healthy Relationships. And this week we did an assessment, our emotional Healthy Assessment. And living in brokenness and living in weakness is a place that I'm still inviting God to keep growing me in. Because I recognize that as I live there, I am experiencing deep transformation. And here's the final thing. This is the final ingredient to deep transformation. We've got to be honest. We've got to become vulnerable and humble. The third one is integrity. Integrity. What did this man lack when he came to Jesus? He lacked integrity. You say, how do I know that? I know that because his faith didn't inform his life. He didn't choose to respond to Jesus in a way that says, I have brought to bear my faith into the deepest part of my life. Here at Grace Crossing Church, we actually say that as our motto, where life and faith intersect. What do we mean by that? We mean we want to be people of integrity. Where there is integration between what we say we believe and how we give God access to the deepest, darkest, shrouded parts of our lives. Those places we wish nobody would ever know. But we give God invitation into it. And then we give God permission to work in it. I think one of the greatest dangers that we have in life, and one of the greatest threats to spiritual transformation, deep, lasting, meaningful transformation, is that we live lives that are disintegrated. And by the way, Satan loves to disintegrate us. To keep our exterior world disconnected from our interior world. To keep our faith and our life compartmentalized. To keep our marriage and, and our relationship with others, meant separate. To keep my faith outside of my workplace. That's one of the tactics of the enemy. One of the the, um, definitions of Satan is splitter. He, He loves to split us. And we do this all the time. We split life into what is what we call sacred when we come to church and secular when we go out. That's not the way God sees it. Living with God means that we live integrated lives where he's a part of everything we are. And we're giving him access to the deepest parts of us. And we're giving him permission to transform us. So let me close with this passage from Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 21 to 25. It begins with a conditional word. If. If. If you've really experienced the anointed one, and, and, and if you've heard his truth, it'll be seen in your life. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus. He has taught us to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self, which is being corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusions. That's really profound. So many people live delusional in their Christian faith. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that has been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and you live in union with him. For God has recreated you all over again in his perfect righteousness and you now belong to him in the realm of true holiness. So discard, notice this, so discard every form of dishonesty and lying so that you will be known as one who always speaks the truth. For we all belong to one another. What's this passage about? It's about what life looks like when there's deep transformation. When Jesus is coming into our old ways of thinking, being, and doing, and he's actually bringing to us a new way of thinking, and we now start to function within God's family in a different way. We let God the Father reparent us, and we learn how we are called to live as sons and daughters of God, which is not the way most of us were taught. And that we stop lying to ourselves. We stop being dishonest about what's happening in us. We become deeply truthful. So that honesty and humility and integrity can bring us to a place where we become deeply formed in the image of his son, Jesus. At the end of the day, that's what God desires for all of us That's my dream for all of us here at Grace Crossing Church. Of anything I would desire for you, I would desire that your life would take the shape of God's son. Because if that happens, everything else about your life will fall into place. Everything else. I'm not saying life will always be easy. What I'm saying is God will always be there to meet you and to show you how even the hard things can be gifts from God, gifts of his grace. But it begins with honesty, humility, and integrity. Let's pray together. Why don't you stand and we'll close. So as we pray this morning, now here's what I'd like you to do. Let's return back to those two words, access and permission. How are you doing giving God access to the deepest interior of your life? Have you given God permission To do a work in you and to rework things that have been perverted, destroyed, contaminated, that God wants to restore. He sees you in the form of His Son and He desires to bring it to bear through your cooperation of honesty, humility, and integrity. So, my prayer this morning as we pray is don't resist God. In fact, as your heads are bowed right now and your eyes are closed, God may be giving you an invitation into a relationship with him. This morning, you might be feeling a sense that God is inviting you. You might even feel inside of you something happening where you feel, wow, just a sense of invitation, but but can I, should I? What would that be like? You don't have to know all the answers. All you have to do is give God access and permission. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you'd say, I want to receive Christ as my savior and I want to I put my trust in him so that I can experience deep transformation, if that's you, would you slip your hand up? And by doing so, we want to just pray this morning for all of us here that feel a sense of God's invitation. And we want to receive that this morning. We want to we give God access and permission to the deepest places in our lives. Yeah, thanks so much. You can put your hands down. God, this morning, I want to thank you for your presence here, and I want to thank you for this invitation. I ask this morning that you'll bring us uh, to a place of being willing um, to become more honest, to become more humble willing to be vulnerable and to become people of integrity. God, we don't want to live disintegrated lives. We don't want our faith to be simply about mental ascent to theology. We don't want to know all the right answers like this man in the story. We want to integrate you into the deepest part of the way we live. So we pray today that you'll help us, that you'll meet us, for those that lifted their hands this morning, God, would you, would you connect to their heart in a very special way? Give them peace, God, that you're there with them. Let them feel your love and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the promise of forgiveness of sins that if we put our trust in you, we put our hope in you, God, that we are made into a new creation. So God, we rejoice with every person this morning who places their faith and their trust in you. I pray that you'll meet them at their point of desire today, in Jesus' name. Bless us, God, as we prepare to go, and as we gather back here at 5.30 for the Taste of Nations, we, we just thank you for the time that we can spend as a family celebrating our diverse unity. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great afternoon. Thanks for listening.